I've always followed my curiosity and intuition in life. I was never a star student in school. In fact, my third grade teacher told my mother she should start thinking about a trade for me because I would never graduate college. Well, she was wrong. My mother loves to tell that story. I suppose all that daydreaming I did in school is what helped me get my dream job. I'm a visual and experiential learner. I believe creativity is about making connections. And the connections I'm most excited by are those found between art and technology. I want to be remembered for putting beautiful, thoughtful ideas into the world. Ideas that serve a purpose and solve problems. That's what brought me to AKQA. We have a saying here, the future inspires us, we work to create the future. Even though our digital lives will continue to change, that spirit will always remain the same. It's one of the things that has made working at AKQA my dream job for over 15 years. I lead the creative department in AKQA's Portland, Oregon office. I am Jenny Golden. Celebrating the work, lives, and achievements of women in Western North America, The Drum presents Exceptional Women Out West, hosted by The Drum North America Editor-at-Large, Doug Zanger. Let's go with three questions here, shall we? We shall. Who made you? Using the air quotes there. This is an interesting story, and I love to tell the story, but I think we need to to back up a little bit to get some context. Sure. And we'll have to flash back to when I was probably seven or eight years old, and my mother bought us a Macintosh for the home. Ooh, so the Mac 2, which one was, was the big, like the kind of the bigger one that you had the separate monitor for? Or was the all-in-one? You know, I can't even Does remember it even it. matter? I can't. Doesn't it doesn't matter. even matter. It doesn't matter. Um, I mean, my mother was probably the designated like tech family leader. In the family, we also had laser discs in our home. <laughs> That's so fantastic. <laughs> we had all the latest and greatest. But, you know, going back to the third grade teacher statement, I mean, I was so bad about doing my homework and my book reports. Like, I would spend more time working on that Macintosh, designing what the book cover would look like, and not write the paper. At, at such a young age, I didn't know that was graphic design. Mm-hmm. It was just too early for me to even understand the concept of right. that. And I grew up in West Virginia, and there, you know, you go in and you talk to your guidance counselor about what possible careers are, and, you know, it's a teacher, a lawyer, a nurse, a doctor, you know, these very kind of canned kind of labels as professions right. or trades. And I didn't even know that graphic design was an option until I went to college. And I went to college thinking I was going to be a lawyer because my father was a lawyer. Uh, and I think okay. I was consumed with, you know, shows like L.A. Law that were on TV. And, you know, it's just like it just kind of seemed to be kind of in the Corbin zeitgeist. Corbin yeah, yeah, that Susan time. Day kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and it was more about just kind of, I think, performances more than actual right. the practice of it. And then I think <laughs> I, when I got to college, I realized, you know, how much reading was involved to really be a proficient and good it's lawyer. Yeah, yeah, lots of books. Lots, <laughs> lots of books. and lots of reading, studying books. And well, I got to college and I took two electives there. The first one was a typography class and it was literally oh. just opening up 
the book and saying like, what sounds interesting, you know, in that's the cool. Yeah. And there were two required reading books, like in that class, I think one was the Meg's history of graphic design. I think it was like the first or second edition. Um, and then the other one was elements of typography and just learning the history of typography and going all the way back to like the Gutenberg printing press mm-hmm. was just fascinating for me. And in that class, really learning the difference between fine art and communication arts, you know, and that one is about self-expression and then the other is, you know, really conveying a concept or, a, or an idea in a compelling or convincing way. And the person behind that class, his name was Professor Graham. And I never thought of myself as an artistic person. You know, I was, I was really sporty kind of growing up, but I never really saw a path where that would be a good future for me mm-hmm. um, in my career. But he really opened up the door for me in seeing that that was possible and encouraged me to take more classes and more classes. And I eventually put all my electives, well, I took every one of his classes, of course. Right, um, sure. And then he would recommend other classes like color theory and different kind of techniques with form and just really obsessing kind of the the graphic design that the program offered. And then I realized that I didn't want to be a lawyer and that Mm -hmm. I was halfway through, you know, my junior year in college. And the only way I could figure out how to graduate in four years was to basically write my own major, to create an interdisciplinary multimedia design and development major, which, you know, at the time was pretty revolutionary concept like there were no programs based in trying to take film and media and graphic design and sound and computer science and mix all of those things together right so my thesis for that ended up taking our college yearbook and making it a (laughs) cd-rom nice (laughs) did you get a free month of aol with that yeah it was i'm sorry america online it wasn't quite aol yes yes (laughs) So that was really the the beginning for me. And at the time, I mean, the industry for bringing brands online and the internet yeah. was just really kicking off. And there was a company in Georgetown in Washington, D.C. that an alum from my college had called the professor and was like, hey, we need people. And this, I hadn't even finished my senior year. <laughs> That's awesome. And he's like, I've got just the girl for you. And he sent me down there and I started working before I even graduated at AKQA as an intern. That's so... Now, where'd you go to college again? You went to... American University. You went to American in mm-hmm. D.C. That's right. Yeah. Thinking That's right. I would do pre-law. And yeah. I ended up, you know, coming out of that school with an interdisciplinary multimedia design and development I mean, degree, right. which they still use. I mean, I kind of pioneered that program to benefit myself, but it really did set up the framework for their future program like for that area. That's awesome. I know I was kind of chuckling a little bit about the CD-ROM thing, but that, I mean, that was a big deal. It was. I mean, I mean that's, that's, a, that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And we can kind of laugh about it now. Dreamweaver but and Shockwave yeah. and Flash Quark. and Quark. <laughs> Those old programs. Quark Express. <laughs> yes. That's fascinating. That's really cool. It's going to make you feel really good that, that that's, you've already built this piece of legacy at your school. Yeah. I feel good about it. I mean, I didn't have any idea like if it would work or not I just really wanted to follow my passions and what I was interested in and trying to put all those ingredients together to do something what's the most interesting conversation you've had recently I think this is a good one so 
One of our designers at AKQA sent out an email recently to a bunch of women in the office mm -hmm. sending in a link to an article, and it was about imposter syndrome. Right. Ever heard of it? Yes. Yes. So I hadn't. Somehow in my entire career, this topic had escaped me. Now explain it a little bit for people who might not understand. After hearing it, I went into that internet wormhole of like research. <laughs> right. Like, right. What Seven is hours this thing? of, yes. What is this thing? And it was a, a study, I think it was done in like the 70s. I could, mm -hmm. I could be wrong. But it was saying that there was a problem with successful women being able to internalize their success. And they had this fear that they would be exposed as a fraud or a hack and that all of their success was attributed to luck or hard mm -hmm. work or, you know, basically not the effort of themselves and, and their skill. It was kind of like a, a, like a haunting feeling that I had to do a lot of self-reflection around because, you know, not only did a lot of women in the office reply back with like a me too feeling, but I had also had that feeling mm -hmm. in, in my career, and I didn't realize that there was a name for it. And not only a name for it, but a name that there was a lot of conversation around <laughs> that right. I had just missed. Right. I think it was more prevalent when I was younger mm -hmm. like, as a creative, and that there's part of me in that time of my life that just was convinced that every creative was slightly bipolar, like in a way that, you know, everyone has ups and downs, everyone has doubts, mm -hmm. everyone has the highs and the lows, and that's just part of being a creative. But I'm realizing like more and more, I think uh, successful people have that feeling because it's just a product of, you know, part of my French, but just giving a shit, you know? Right. And one of my favorite articles that I found in my internet wormhole was this article by Salon where they said either, you know, if you don't suffer or have ever had a feeling of imposter syndrome, then you're an overconfident weirdo and that it's the most natural uh, thing to feel in the world. Uh, it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, here I am age 47 and, you know, after I wouldn't say reinvention, but, you know, a few, pat, you know, a few little sort of jaunts along the path along the way, I always kind of look at my stuff and I go, yeah, it's good, but I don't know. And, you know, people come and say, oh my God, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's great stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, trust me, super appreciate the feedback, but I'm always my, my biggest critic. Do you find that you're sort of your biggest critic at times? Oh, of course. I mean, it's like being a creative, there is inherently a little bit of vulnerability in that, you know, yeah. because you put so much of yourself into your work and then you put your work out into the world and mm -hmm. you, know, you have to brace yourself for the feedback, for the criticism. But I think the most important thing is to try to learn from it. Who or what are you inspired by, and why is that? It changes every day, I would say. Well, that's good. No, <laughs> actually, that's really good. So I will say today, and it's linked to a current project that I'm working on, but I've been doing a lot of research around virtual reality. A lot of people are talking about it. I know. There's a lot going on. The expression, I actually think there's a band called this too, but it's like, we were promised jetpacks. You know, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, where's my virtual reality? Right, where's my, yes. But I think they've been, you know, teasing us with this potential and this promise for years, but the technology has never really caught up. Right. But, you know, in the last year, we've started to see visionary people, I think, start to look at the medium in interesting ways. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, Chris Milk has started his production studio, Verse. 
Um, and just there's this sense of just elevated storytelling and trying to just making humans feel a little bit more empathy. You know, it's, right. it's kind of a, a departure from the, the gaming category. I think that most mm-hmm. people associate with virtual reality. Mm-hmm. We've seen, you know, Bjork start to experiment with, with her album. Man, Bjork. <laughs> yeah. The Bjork. That's, she's, she's up for anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, I mean that in the nicest possible way, by the way. It's just like, wow, I'm I'm strangely drawn to that, and I don't know why. But it's it's provocative, and totally. I think it's starting to you know really push the medium absolutely and the boundaries of the medium. And there was a a film in Sundance in the past year called Defrost. It puts you into a first person experience of a patient waking up after a cryogenic sleep for thirty years. So we're starting to really see some of the conceptual possibilities and right. the elevated storytelling, I think, that are possible. And, and that's what I get excited about and find inspiring. We get to the must list. What is a must do? Travel is a pretty typical, I think, answer. You know, like you must kind of get a different perspective right. in life. I think I would go a click further than that and say travel solo. Mm-hmm. This is something I did at you know my 10 year anniversary of being at AKQA. I just went Sabbatical. to Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that word. Yes. I went to Southeast Asia for 6 months um Jeez. without a plan. Just no backpack, plan. no plan. By yourself. By myself. Wow. Yes. And I was just looking to learn, discover, get uncomfortable for a little while, just get lost. And being solo, I think I discovered two things about myself that I never would have otherwise. You know, for the first three months, it was all about trying to cover as much ground as I could, just like place to place to place. Mm -hmm. And that's exhausting. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I just realized like, it was just eventually just becoming so stressful trying to figure out the next place or where I was going to rest my head the next night. And I really discovered that I thrive better and do better when I have a sense of community. I just mm-hmm. feel a lot healthier and more centered and mm-hmm. more focused. So I ended up spending the last three months in Bali. And I also realized the second thing about myself is I need a challenge. You know, just how many temples and churches and, you know, pieces (laughs) of art can you see? Or how many hikes can you go on? And, you know, I suppose maybe if I was a writer, it might have been different. I could have written my first or best, you know, novel or memoir or something. The great American novel from Bali. Exactly. My eat, pray, love moment. Um, (laughs) But uh, I was just, I wasn't good idol. And so I you know, was always kind of into recreation or, or sporty kind of things. I discovered scuba diving and I ended up working in a dive shop and getting my certificate and becoming like a, a master scuba diver. But it was the challenge of, I mean, you really have to study. Like yeah, there's yeah. a lot of coursework. It can be kind of dangerous in of course, some circumstances. Yeah. The bends. The bends, <laughs> exactly. But it, it was something that stimulated me physically and mentally mm-hmm. and was a big challenge to undergo. And so that knowing I, I needed a community and I needed a challenge was something that, you know, coming out of that experience has, has really kind of grounded me in life with um, my goals. What's a must experience? Going back to me being inspired by virtual reality, I think that it is something that everyone should try. 
I think that you really won't understand the medium until you get immersed and put the equipment on your head and try to experience some of this content. And we've had some just focus group testing and, you know, we've kind of kicked the tires on some sure. of the stuff in the office here. Uh-huh. And you would be so surprised at just like how kind of how much of a white knuckle like experience that you can get from it, just like kind of bracing yourself in the chair. And one of the things we learned is, you know, once you get into that world, it's not about what you see and what, you know, you hear, it's about what you feel. Mm-hmm. And I recently just saw this piece of content where it was about kind of what VR can do for sport. And there was a guy who had a headset on and he's parachuting. He's like jumping out, oh, wow. of, out of a plane and he's trying to basically thread the needle on what looks like a game board and like some typography. Think like, you know, Monument Valley. In oh, Utah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And so he's trying to dodge around these gamified land formations and he just like smacked right into the wall oh. of one of them. But he landed and his whole body experienced that impact because the technology basically tricked his brain into thinking that it happened. Wow. It's easy to talk about, but until you actually feel it, until you actually try it, you'll never know how powerful that medium and that technology can be. What's a must read? So I want to change this question up a little bit. Oh, I see. (laughs) No, that's fine. That's fine. I was prepared for this. I was prepared for this. As you know, we've been talking, and I've stated I'm a visual and experiential learner. Yeah. I think uh, podcasts work a lot better for me. Uh, there you go. So this worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like reading. I like reading a lot of fiction. But where I, I find probably my most inspiration and stimulation is from podcasts. And I, lately I've become really obsessed with this idea of like narrative journalism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think everyone knows, like, Ira Glass and, you right. know, <laughs> that's American the guy, life. The guy, the guy that everybody's like, you should meet him. You, you guys would get along. <laughs> is it the glasses? I, I don't know. Him. What is it? Yeah. So I think I've exhausted, like, his entire library of this American life, and I've had to move on. I've had to find, like, other sources. <laughs> this Canadian life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so my new source of inspiration is 99% Invisible. Mm-hmm. So you know this. A little bit, but please. <laughs> yeah. What I love about these podcasts is it's making kind of the unnoticeable noticeable. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of taking these connections that you might not normally see in life and doing some wonderful storytelling around them. I think one of the latest episodes that I was listening to is called War and Pizza. And yeah. It's, interesting. It, it was. It, they're all interesting. I think that's just what it is. I mean, they're just, they're very like interesting stories. But this one was around the food science behind what it takes to make the MREs for our troops and for basically, for food to have a longer shelf life. Right. And what's happened is, is that type of innovation to feed a large amount of people and have that food stay, you know, I guess. Edible? Well, it's this food that is designed to have a shelf life for right. like oh, it's, it's about, three years. Yeah, it's about shelf. It's stability. That's the word yeah. for it. Yeah. And yeah. so they're developing things like Osmaroni pizza that can sit on a shelf for like seven years. And it's like, well, that's good for the troops and feeding like a large amount of 
people in our military, it's not necessarily good for our country, but yet that food science and that technology is starting to find its way into our supermarkets yeah. and starting to become like more of the, the norm than not. Yeah. And the long-term effect of what that is doing to our bodies it's like we don't need to be eating food that's designed to sit on a shelf for 17 years. Correct. You know, like we need fresher food. Um, right. So the story was just pretty fascinating about just what you see in your supermarket aisles. And you don't even give it a second thought. It's invisible. That's why I love the 99% invisible platform because they're starting to, you know, they can bring those stories. So what they're mainly doing here is just making the invisible more visible. I mean, it's, app title. Perfect. Exactly. What is a must learn? Learn how to sell your own work. Right. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a great one. You should be able to defend every decision and choice that you have made in the creative process. And learning how to do that is what gets you in the room with the client. And there's nothing more frustrating for me, like when I was young, than receiving feedback without context. Mm -hmm. um, because I always, you know, had a, a, a thought or something to back up that decision. And I always wanted to be able to ask the client, you know, when they were asking to change something, like, what are you hoping to do or what are you hoping to accomplish by doing that so that we could have a, a dialogue? And I think that. When you're learning how to sell your own work, you know, confrontation is, is going to be part of it. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. And so you're, you're going to have to learn how to come at it from not a defensive, you know, position, but more of a collaborative position and learning when, when to listen mm -hmm. um, and when to talk. I think that the feedback loop in the creative process is really important, but mm -hmm. if you can't, if you can't sell your work, then you're not going to have a seat you know, at the table and you're always going to be getting that information secondhand. What's a question you've never been asked that you would love someone to ask you? And what would that answer be? Will you open the next AKQA in Bali? I think you're, that's a question that you're hoping someone will ask <laughs> you. Someone specifically from London, maybe. Maybe a Jaws. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> But no, it's interesting, though, because why not? I, I guess the question becomes, why wouldn't you potentially do something in a place as unique as that? Think about all the inspiration yeah. you could potentially glean from that. You, I mean, Portland is pretty inspiring. It if, is, if yeah. I, if I weren't in Bali, I would probably be here. I mean, I do love the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Kind of like my own little version of Bali. That's with a lot of rain. <laughs> it rains a lot in Bali too. I know it does, but it's <laughs> slightly warmer there. All right. So, so how would you, all right. So how would that question be answered? You're dodging this one. I am. You are, you did go to school in DC. Look at this. You're putting the spin on me. <laughs> all right. Ask me the question again. Will you start up an AKQA office in Bali? Um, They're going to say no. What, what about, can you, maybe, maybe rephrase it. Can we please have our annual conference in Bali? Yes, maybe our next creative offsite could be there. Here's where I compliment you. You and I first met for Design Week Portland, which is a great event for people who haven't been. And you were working with a group called Different Pigeon. 
and they are homeless youth and they are working to that that's the brand from the organization new avenues for youth so a brand emanated from new avenues and talk a little bit about just the project because just give us the snapshot of it because this is sort of underscores what I've learned about you over yeah. getting to know you and also talking to other people as well. So tell us a little bit about that project. Different Pigeon is a startup fashion brand that is run through artistic homeless and at-risk youth through the organization New Avenues for Youth. And it was never, you know, our mission as AKQA to get involved with creating a startup fashion brand <laughs> right. by any means. But this came to fruition through mentorship opportunity with New Avenues for Youth. So they approached AKQA looking for some guidance because they had some very you know talented, creative people uh, that they worked with, and they were trying to find them like opportunity in life. And we started working with some of the youth, and we really saw so much, you know, potential in them that it was really kind of the the brainchild of you know some of the the creatives here, working with them side by side, in this mentorship program. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that what is the best way to learn, but to learn through real life of scenarios Mm -hmm. and so it kind of started as let's put some structure you know around the mentorship program and create like a curriculum and it just you know it really started seeming like just a fun thing to do and a way to approach it and giving them real life experience actually became a sustainable business model because you know anyone can I mean I don't want to like dismiss how easily it is but Anyone can create a store online now, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just the technology is there with, right. with Squarespace and different blogs. So right. that wasn't a, a barrier to creating the business. And we were fortunate enough that Nike had donated some screen printing equipment where we could design fashion and T-shirts and then get them printed and then sell them and ship them. And so the Design Week event was to launch the the brand, right. Different Pigeon, and just kind of celebrate that brand coming into the world. What I've learned, and this was the lens that I was looking through, Different Pigeon, this is when we first met, and what I've learned over time is that the word humanity comes up a lot when it comes to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that you clearly understand and appreciate the commercial aspect of what it is we do you appreciate the artistic side of it as well, but you don't seem to do anything unless there's humanity to it. And it's, and that's really critical. And it feels like hopefully that's where this industry is going. But I feel like that you're in some ways this really great trailblazer, not necessarily just for women, but really for all of us, if you think about it, because that's going to be one of the things that, probably helps us not just survive but thrive so that's what I learned about you is humanity is a big deal I mean is that true do you feel a responsibility to humanity for the stuff that you do I feel responsible for putting meaningful work out into the world I think that there's you know already so much clutter and noise I mean what I what I would like to think is what I'm contributing has a purpose 
every guest on our show gets an opportunity to talk about what they would like to. So without further ado, the floor is yours. Well, if I could give any advice to any up-and-coming creatives out in the world, I would say that you should strive for excellence over perfection. Um, I think when I was young, the graphic designer in me was obsessed with this idea of perfection, that it had to be perfect you know, before you could share it with anybody or get feedback. And as I've matured, what has really helped me in my creative process is becoming more nimble and more iterative, especially when you're working on anything experiential or interactive that someone is going to you know, participate in. And that feedback is such a crucial part of the creative process that you can't always wait for it to be perfect to share your work. Much like the must list, we would like you to share a little bit more advice or wisdom. You've shared quite a bit, but what's one more piece that you can give to wrap up the show as the last word? It's going back to what I said in the beginning, even about myself. I think that if you're going to trust anything in life, trust your intuition. Now, you, the gut, heart, head, we always talk about those three things. You're thinking gut first, heart first. How do those manifest itself? I think you... I mean, it's different to, for everybody. I mean, it's definitely different. Rhythm, right? Yeah, right? But they're all informing each other. But if you had to pick one, what would you say has served you well over your career? Definitely your gut. Jenny, a great pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. <laughs>